You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Good morning. It's good to be with you as we continue our series, Jesus of Nazareth. Last week we talked about what is truth, seeing the light of the truth of Christ. And today we talk, well, what do we do now? Our scripture lesson today comes from the Gospel of Mark, the first chapter, beginning with the 14th verse. It'll be on the screens, it'll be online, and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther... He saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat, mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Sometimes I think my Apple Watch taunts me. This morning, uh, while getting ready, my Apple Watch, a notification popped up, and it said, make it happen. Yesterday, your exercise ring didn't get enough love. Let's get it closed today, Matthew. Mind your business, Apple Watch. (laughs) Leave me alone, Apple Watch. It ain't that easy, Apple Watch. Jesus is walking along the the, the Sea of Galilee and he says, drop your nets and follow me. And they do. (laughs) What amazing charisma. It's kind of like Jesus going up to the fishermen saying, I noticed your gospel ring wasn't closed much yesterday. Let's make it happen, Peter. Let's make it happen, Andrew, James, John, oh, Zebedee, never mind, you you stay in the boat. Mind your business, Jesus. Have you thought about what amazing charisma that must take for him to go to these fishermen, something that they've been doing all of their lives, to say, drop your nets and follow me, and they do. Can you imagine that kind of conversation that Peter had with his wife later? Uh, We know that Peter was married. Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. Can you imagine he goes home and goes, okay, before I say anything, I need you to promise not to get angry. So this guy named Jesus walked by the lake and wants me to quit my job. So I did. (laughs) And now I'm following him with 12 other guys. Drop your nets. I've tried this at home. I've tried this at home. 
drop the Nintendo and clean your room. It doesn't work. <laughs> uh, maybe I just don't have the charisma of Jesus, you know, guilty. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not Jesus. You know, um, several years ago, when Isabel was about three years old and Anna Lee was about one year old, and we, we came home from church, and uh, Isabel stole a toy from Anna Lee. So I sat her down and said, Isabel, we do not steal toys. That it is not good to steal toys. And since we had just come home from church, and because I'm a pastor, I said, I played the J card. Jesus wouldn't steal toys. And this sweet, innocent, three-year-old child looked up at me and said, but daddy, I'm not Jesus. <laughs> Touche, right? Daddy, I'm not Jesus. Maybe Isabel was right. You know, we, we aren't Jesus. Think if we were Jesus, however, think of what the world would look like if we had that kind of divine power and amazing charisma. It's like uh, there's a character in the recent Wonder Woman 1984 movie, uh, though I cannot recommend the movie. It's not my favorite movie. But there's a villain named Maxwell Lord. And Maxwell Lord has a superpower. He has the power to grant anyone whatever they wish. But of course, when you do that, when you accept that power, when you accept that wish, when that wish is granted, he steals just a little bit of your life in return. He's not being altruistic. He's trying to live forever. Of course, at the expense of everyone else. Imagine what happens to the world. If you've seen the movie, you know. But imagine what happens, or maybe Bruce Almighty, the same kind of thing happens when he's answering the emails and, and, and he answers yes to all. What happens when everyone gets what they want while well, the world descends into chaos? It is how C.S. Lewis describes hell in his book, The Great Divorce. Hell is a place where everybody gets whatever they want. So if you want a 120-inch HD plasma 1080p TV, you can have it. And if your neighbor wants your TV, they can have it too. Therefore, humanity begins to live in isolation far apart from everyone and everything. We become little islands. And it is the first thing that God, when God created everything, God said it was good when God saw that Adam was lonely, God said it is not good for humankind to be alone. It's not good for us to be in isolation. And that's what happens when everybody gets what they want. They don't trust anyone. And they surround themselves with stuff. Before Jesus calls the disciples, we hear his first sermon the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Wanting things is not actually the problem. The problem is the things we want <laughs> aren't always good. Well, it might be good for me personally, but is that perceived goodness also goodness for my neighbor? Also goodness for my family, the other. 
Imagine if we were Jesus. Imagine if we had this divine power to grant wishes. Imagine if we could solve world hunger. How amazing would that be? Though we don't have to imagine it, we can do that right now. We just don't want to. Because living with this power, living altruistically, living for the other, for example, solving world hunger might just mean that I have to make a sacrifice. I might not be able to eat as much as I want. My Apple Watch reminds me of that quite often as well. It might mean I can't just go to the store and get what I want. In 2018, for example, the Food Empowerment Project reported that high-income neighborhoods have 14 times more access to frozen vegetables. Not 14% more, 14 times more. Now, a lot of things go into that equation. What does it mean to have one time more access? And the answer isn't just having a frozen peas delivery service. It might be. A lot of things go into that, right? Economics, distance to supermarkets, transportation, aftercare for children, economics, a lot, of, a lot goes into that. And I'm not pointing the finger at one person or one system individually. And this, this of course, is not an economic lecture. But I do hope, at least knowing that disparity gives you pause. Why? Or more affluent neighborhoods, why do they have 14 times more access to frozen vegetables? What an interesting statistic. Do people even have freezers in order to receive? There's a lot that goes into that. But we don't need a superpower to solve world hunger. We could do it right now. But it might cost us something. Therefore, sometimes we shy away. The kingdom of God has come near. Jesus' first words of his first sermon. The kingdom of God has come near, which means we don't have to wait to start changing the world, to start pointing to the reality of heaven and earth becoming one. And then he says, repent, which means literally to turn around. The interesting thing about turning around is in order to turn around, you have to slow down. Have you ever been with a new driver <laughs> and you're teaching them how to turn in a car? Uh, have they ever stepped on the gas while making that turn and nearly flipped your car? I'm speaking hypothetically, not, not you know, for, for me when I was first driving. In order to turn around, you have to slow down. You have to pay attention to your surroundings. You have to be aware of where you are. Remember last week we talked about sometimes we're so lost we can't even see it. Repent. Turn around. And you can't go 100 miles an hour and then turn around abruptly. You'll flip the car and you'll hurt yourself and you might hurt someone else. Slow down. Take a look at where you are. And then turn around. And then finally, Jesus says, believe, believe in the good news. Trust that good news is actually good. 
Now, after this first sermon, Jesus begins calling the disciples. And what does it mean to follow Jesus? Ted Smith writes, in calling the Galilean fishermen to discipleship, Jesus does not ask them to just add more things to their busy lives. He calls them into a new way of being. You know, church isn't something you go to. Church is who we are. We are the body of Christ. We are the hands and feet. And that means that in our comings and our goings, everything should be pointing to this kingdom that is both now and coming into fruition. Everything that we do is an extension of the church's ministry. We, we worship, we fast, we study, we pray. But as Christians, we also do things like paperwork and drop the kids off at school and manage regional portfolios. We sing, we dance, we grill on the Weber, we go to work, we build wheelchair ramps. In other words, church doesn't happen just on Sunday. Everything we do is an extension of its ministry. Now, for some, following Jesus means dropping your nets and dropping everything and following. Sometimes there is a radical turn with repentance, and you do. You need to let it all go. One of my pastor friends, I, you know, it's not a thought experiment of what Peter's wife said when Peter said, I know, I know I've been fishing for a long time. Uh, pastor Gene Reeves, uh, one of my friends down in Baker, Louisiana, successful uh, restaurant owner. Kids all went to private school. They were all doing all right. And uh, he one day had an experience, a very powerful experience of Jesus. And he, in the morning, rolled over to his wife and said, babe, I've got to go to seminary. I've got to be a pastor. The conversation was difficult at first. But then they saw how fruitful it was. Now, for others, following Jesus isn't dropping everything and dropping your nets. I'm always fascinated by this character of Zebedee, James and John's father, who was in the boat. He called Peter, and well, Simon. He later calls him Peter. Simon and Andrew, they dropped their nets and followed. He called out to James and John. They dropped their nets and followed. But it said they left their father Zebedee in the boat. Sometimes I've heard that preached that Zebedee wasn't a real follower of Jesus. But if no one is fishing... No one eats. Sometimes following Jesus means to continue to fish, to continue to do what you're doing, to continue to do what you know how to do, but for a different purpose and for a different reason. I think Zebedee was a great follower of Jesus, even though he didn't get out of the boat. Sometimes you got to fish for the kingdom. It's not my calling to drop everything and follow Jesus. I, I'm a fisherman. I know how to fish. I'm going to keep doing that. But I will do it for the kingdom of God. It's like shopping. I've been, I'm hungry. I've been talking a lot about food this morning. It's like shopping. I'm not saying don't ever shop ever again. But I'm saying maybe when you go shopping, you bring a red bag for our food pantry. Keep fishing. But fish now for the kingdom of God. Following Christ is a huge responsibility. The call to discipleship is 
hard. Jesus said, my, my burden is light, but he still called it a burden. <laughs> Follow me, my burden is light. It's still a burden. Reverend Phil Woodland, uh, one of my mentors in ministry, said, following Jesus is costly. Not following Jesus is more costly. <laughs> hmm. When the disciples follow Jesus, they saw what the kingdom was. If you follow along in the Gospel of Mark, it's not long before Jesus starts healing people and feeding people and dining with sinners and welcoming outcasts and holding leaders accountable. But it isn't easy. Before Jesus' first sermon, it says, after John was arrested, Jesus gave his first sermon. And that was a foreshadowing that carried over Jesus' entire ministry. Jesus knew where the story was heading. John spoke out against King Herod, and his head was served on a platter to entertain dinner guests. After John was arrested is when Jesus started his ministry. He knew that it would end in Jerusalem. He knew the cross was looming. And he chose to heal and feed and welcome and proclaim anyway. But here's a mystery. In following Jesus, when we take on that mantle of discipleship, of learning, of studying, of doing for Jesus, we begin to discover that the dichotomy between follower and leader begins to dissipate and, and disappear. In following Jesus, you begin to realize that, that you, you are the hands and feet of Christ. You are the body of Christ. You are the church. One day, and one day it will happen, whether it's on a mystery trip or in a Bible study or while you're doing the dishes on Thursday night, it will happen at some point where you realize that the promise is true. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. Sometimes it's like a lightning bolt that comes out of the sky, and sometimes it's while reading your child a book at night before bed. It happened with John Wesley in Aldersgate. His heart was strangely warmed. If you're good Methodist, you know that story. One day you'll feel it. You'll see it. It is no longer I who lives, but, but Christ is living within me. Everything I do is an extension of this everlasting life to which we hope, dream, and work Daddy, I not Jesus. That's incorrect. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the work that I do. In fact, will do greater works than these. Greater works? Jesus, you fed 5,000 people. Do you know how many people our food pantry has fed? Jesus, you healed the sick. We'll talk about that in, 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 uh, next week or the, or the week after. How many have our hospitals 
cured. It's an astounding thing for Jesus to say, my followers will do even greater works than I. Sometimes that means dropping our nets. Sometimes that means dropping what we need to let go of. I'm so proud. My wife, uh, I'm so proud of her. She started grad school a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Library science degree. Both of her grandmothers were librarians. It's in the blood, right? But because of that, we have to like change our daily schedule and change our rhythm and change our vacations and change. Sometimes you have to drop some stuff to get it done. Now, these, these aren't the works of Maxwell Lord, where we go out into the world and we just grant wishes. Here's a bunch of frozen peas. Now the problem is solved. They're the works of healing and feeding and lifting up and offering life and asking the difficult questions. The realization that Christ is living within you, yeah, it might be a lightning bolt, it might be while you're doing the dishes, or you might just get a notification that says, uh, make it happen. Your gospel ring wasn't closed yesterday, was it? You got, your gospel ring needs a little love, doesn't it? Let's get it closed today. Let's get it closed today, church. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. Holy and loving God, we give you thanks that you call us out of ourselves to be in ministry with the world, to follow truth, to lead others motivated by love. But Father, we ask for your spirit to be upon us, to give us the courage to weigh the cost of discipleship. Help us to know that we are not alone. Help us to know that we are claimed by you. And help us (laughs) to close our rings, Father. Let's make it happen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.